from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now a people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So we are in a new sermon series that we are just starting today called We Believe. Uh, we included in your bulletin, uh, we read this litany to our social creed. Did you know that we have a social creed? Some people probably, even folks, you might have been raised United Methodist and not known our social creed, which is on the back of that litany that we read. Uh, the social creed is basically this. Uh, not all denominations do this, but uh, the United Methodist Church uniquely sets down in writing how we believe we're supposed to interact with the world. That means how we're supposed to specifically interact with other people, how we're supposed to interact politically, how we're supposed to interact with the environment, how we're supposed to spend our money. These are sensitive issues, aren't they, people? So this is stuff that we as a denomination believe. And generally, they, they are true amongst all Christians, but the United Methodist Church has written it down. And we, if you actually look at our book of discipline, which I'm sure all of you have a dog-eared copy of our book of discipline that you read every night before bed. But if you actually take a look at our book of discipline, um, the, the section on social principles is actually very lengthy, and it puts things in, in very, very um, uh, detailed terms as far as how we as United Methodists are supposed to live out this thing called following Jesus in our life. Um, I want to say this before we even get started in any of this. If anyone in this room says, after you read through our social creed or if you look at our social principles, I disagree with that. You're in good company. There's a lot of United Methodists that disagree with that too. In fact, we come to agreement on these things or we put them into writing because we get together, uh, representatives from the church all around the world get together every four years at a general conference. And we have knocked down, drag out fights about what our social principles are. So if you say, well, I don't quite agree with this or I don't quite agree with that, you're in good company. There's a lot of us that don't. But we come to some consensus because we think it's important to put these things down in writing. Um, our bishop, Bob Farr, uh, at our Missouri annual conference, that's just the gathering of United Methodists in Missouri, he, he gave some great advice to the clergy and the lay leaders that were gathered at our annual conference. And I'm going to give it to you because I think it's really useful. He said if you're ever having a very highly charged debate with somebody about a social issue uh, that, that you know is very sensitive and you might have a fight about it, um, when you're talking to anyone you might disagree with, start the conversation this way. Say, I could be wrong, but, and then share your opinion. So let's all practice that with your neighbor. Say, I could be wrong, but, now tell them who you voted for in the last presidential election. No, don't do that. Don't really do that. 
Some of you are doing that. Um, <laughs> see, what we believe, what we believe, sometimes it's not consequential if it's something that doesn't touch, in your, touch on your daily life. I have a friend who seriously 100% believes that the earth is flat. Yes, in 2018. He believes that the earth is flat. He's watched all of these YouTube videos that have convinced him that the earth is flat. And he has all these numbers he'll try to bring to me and all, all, all these ways that he thinks he can prove the earth is flat. And I'm like, listen, if the earth is flat, then how come your cell phone, because if, if, he doesn't believe outer space is really there. If the earth is flat, then how come your cell phone, when you pull it out, how, how does the GPS work if there's no satellites? And he gives me the answer that all conspiracy theorists give when their arguments fall apart. He said, because the Illuminati. So I guess he's got me there, right? So my friend is a musician. That's not very surprising, right? Um, he is a musician, and he, he, that doesn't really affect his daily life, the fact that he believes in the fact, the fact that he believes the Earth is flat. It's not going to affect his livelihood. If he was an astronaut, it would probably affect his livelihood. But, but so some, some things don't touch our daily lives, but sometimes what you believe absolutely affects everything, and it affects your behavior. If you're a parent and you believe that your child is in immediate danger phys of physical harm, you are going to do something in response to that belief, right? So oftentimes, our beliefs have everything to do with how we act. Now, right now in American Protestant Christianity, there's a sharp divide between two types of churches. There's fundamentalist churches. Now, fundamentalist churches say that one thing really matters, what you believe. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is your personal savior? Do you believe that he is the one and only way to heaven? Do you believe in the virgin birth? It's all about what you believe to fundamentalists. And if you don't believe what we believe, find another church. There's other churches, and I'm painting what I know with a very broad brush, but there's other churches uh, that are more progressive type churches. These churches put a lot less emphasis on orthodox Christian doctrine and dogma. Sometimes they're a little bit squishier about their view on salvation. Is there more ways than one to heaven? Uh, maybe there was a virgin birth, but let's not get in arguments about that. What really matters to these progressive Christians is what you do. What do you do? So these churches are far more engaged in social justice ministries. They're very concerned with helping the poor. They, they think that everything comes down to acts of service to the community. That's the more progressive churches. So which approach is right? I actually think that neither approach is right. Um, one of the things that really attracts me to what we call Wesleyan theology, that's the theology of John Wesley, and of course he was the founder of Methodism, is that John Wesley did not believe in this dichotomy. He totally rejected the dichotomy of belief versus action. Instead, he said, no, our belief should call us to action. He believed that when I encounter Jesus, I become a change agent in the world. He believed that changed people change the world. Now, this scripture I read to you, you might have noticed it, it had a little bit of a Shakespearean flair to it because it was the King James Version. I read the King James Version for a real particular reason. Um, it says this, and, it's, it, and this is uh, uh, 
being addressed to followers of Jesus Christ. It says, ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and get this, a peculiar people, a peculiar people. Say to your neighbor, you're a peculiar, peculiar person. Some of you really believe that. So this word kind of gets a bad rap. Um, we think of peculiar, and I think that's why it's not used in a lot of translations, is because it, it has come to mean something different. When we say someone's peculiar, it's not always a compliment. But in this context, um, we're seeing the language of being set apart. We're seeing the language of something has changed these people, and therefore these people, we read in verse 12, that they may do good works, and that when other people, people who are outside, people who are not followers of Jesus, see their good works, they will glorify God because of the good works you do. Something about these people is different. They're peculiar. Something has changed. So what has changed? Well, if we're really Christians, if we really believe and we follow after Jesus Christ, then we've had some kind of encounter. That's what we call a conversion experience. We've, we've come to believe that Jesus Christ is our Savior and that's changed something about us. Our belief has changed us. We believe in Christ that he came, died on the cross for our sins to set us free so that we can have a relationship with God. And something about us is new. Something about us is different because of that. First uh, John 3.16, now a lot of us know John 3.16 from the Gospel of John. This is actually uh, from the letter of John. John 1 John 3.16 says this, this is how we know love. This is followers of Jesus here. This is how we know love. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. See, this lays out the theology of John Wesley perfectly. Because I have been deeply loved, now I can deeply love. Now that Christ has sacrificed for me, and I've known that sacrifice, now I can sacrifice for others. Because God changed my world, I can change the world. See? Changed people change the world. As early as the first century, uh, we see in the book of Acts that, that Christians are actually living this out. The, their religion that they, that they received is different than just a set of beliefs. It's not just a set of dogmas and beliefs. They live differently because of it. They live in community with one another, and they made a special priority of care for orphans and widows. Now, that doesn't seem all that radical right now. Our society, we, we place a high emphasis of, of taking care of people, uh, but that was very different then. It was very peculiar back then to take care of widows and orphans. In fact, in the ancient Roman world, when the early church took root, people didn't care that much about children. If a family was too poor, or even if it, it was a rich family, but they didn't want another child because they would mean, it would mean they would have too many heirs, or if the child was the wrong gender, can you guess what the wrong gender was back then? Or if the child was uh, deformed or had a disability at birth, they would just put the child outside to die. Uh, it's actually estimated that for every million male children born in those times, between three and 400,000 girls were, were born but left to die of exposure. There was a Roman writer named Seneca from the first century, and he wrote this, we drown children at birth when they are weak or abnormal. 
That's horrifying, isn't it? But back in that time, it wasn't. It wasn't even controversial. But there were people that thought differently. There were peculiar people. They were called the Church of Jesus Christ. They had very different beliefs because they remembered that their Savior, the Savior that died for them, used to say, let the children come to me. They remembered that he treated all life as equal and deserving of dignity. They would take in these unwanted children. In fact, there was a record of a Christian man named Meningus of Dijon who rescued many babies from failed abortions or exposure, and he took them in to care, care for them in his own home with his own family. This was considered so strange, so peculiar, that he was actually martyred for that, for taking these children in. So there's a sociologist named Rodney Stark, and he believes uh, that one of the reasons for the massive explosion of Christianity from just a small uh, uh, cult of Judaism to this new world religion that, that now numbers uh, so, so large around the world in the billions, he said that the, it can be linked historically to two major epidemics that struck the Roman Empire in the second and third centuries. These were plagues that wiped out as much as a fourth to even a third of some cities. Now, people were so fearful of these diseases that were killing so many people that not only would they throw dead bodies out in the street, what they would do is if you had a family member who was ill, you would throw them out in the street. That's how fearful people were. But this peculiar people called Christians would invite these people into their homes. And people were curious about that. What a peculiar thing. They would invite them in, even if it meant that they could get sick, even if it meant that they might die. Well, yeah, because these Christians, they didn't believe that death was the end of the road. They had a hope for eternal future. They said that we've got more to live for. And they also served a savior who when he encountered the sick, when he encountered the lepers, he showed them love. He showed them healing. He showed them comfort. So these people were very peculiar indeed. In fact, in the fourth century, uh, there was a man named St. Benedict, one of these peculiar Christians, who started what was considered one of the first hospitals to serve these people in desperate need. We saw people that were changed, changing the world. Now, skipping ahead a little bit, in the timeline of history, in the 1700s, we encounter a very peculiar person, a British member of parliament named William Wilberforce. After experiencing a personal crisis, he had a dramatic encounter with Jesus Christ, and he became a Christian. After, uh, at first, he considered leaving parliament, leaving a political life, and just living a religious life. But then he felt that the Spirit was leading him to let his beliefs manifest themselves in his public life. In 1807, his deep faith led, uh, led him to introduce and pass the hugely important Slave Trade Act of 1807, which outlawed slavery in, in England. See, he said, Christ set me free, so I'm going to do everything I can to bring freedom to everyone I can. That was a changed person changing the world. Then more than 100 years after that, we encounter another very peculiar person in Birmingham, Alabama. In 1963, there was a minister named Martin Luther King Jr. 
like Wilberforce, King's transformational relationship with Christ made him take a hard look at racist policies in his own country. He gathered men, women, and children for a non-violent march from their church to the center of their city. The police demanded that the protesters disperse, and when they did not, they released dogs on them. They fired high-pressure water hoses at them, and there were many people at the time who told Martin Luther King Jr., you're doing this all wrong. You're losing. Look at these women and children who've been attacked by dogs and sprayed with water hoses. You're losing the fight. You can't win a fight by losing a fight. But he thought differently because he believed differently. Martin Luther King Jr., he believed in a savior who won the battle to save all mankind, not by a fight. He knew that his savior won by every blow to his own body. He knew that Jesus won by each nail driven into his hands and feet. It's a peculiar way to win, but we're a peculiar people. What would it look like if I actually lived out this life I call following Jesus in, in every day? What would that look like in how I treat the world around me? What would that look like in how I vote? What would that look like in how I spend my money? Some people love being saved in their heart, but they don't want to be saved in their pocketbook. They love being saved in their heart, but they don't want to be saved when they go and vote for somebody. We're going to be talking about the social principles of our faith over the next couple of weeks. I want to reassure everyone, we are not going to tell you how to vote. I want to reassure you that I am not going to, and Pastor Terry is not going to bash your political party. We are also not going to promote your political party. We're not going to tell you how you should spend your money. What we are going to do is raise to you the priorities of the kingdom of God. What we are going to do is show you what we as a church have decided upon as how we should confront these issues in our world. And so we're going to go on a journey over the next couple of weeks. And I want to say this again. I could be wrong, but... We'll use that a lot because we might have some arguments in here. We might say, well, I don't quite believe that. Get in line. There's a lot of us who have differing opinions. And um, some of us think that it's a, it's a great thing to be sure of everything. I think 2018 is a good time for us all to have a little bit of humility about our beliefs. And to be able to say, I could be wrong, but... And to plant ourselves firmly on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Because it's the surest foundation I've ever known.